shift into an attitude of gratitude. Welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show, where we'll be discussing leadership, business, human potential, inspiring you to live rich from the inside out. Unlock your creativity, stretch out of your comfort zone, break through your barriers, take inspired action, and achieve epic results. Now here's your host, three-time best-selling author, speaker, and certified executive coach, Deborah Kozowski. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show. I'm your host, Deborah Kozowski, and today we are going to the U.S., and we are talking to Laura Janusik. She is a dynamic communication coach, trainer, and consultant. She is a worldwide leading expert in teaching and training listening. She uses her Ph.D. in communication and MBA to help individuals and teams get on the same page through the power of listening. Her approach to helping others listen is practical, other-oriented, and grounded in research. Laura's research is published both nationally and internationally. You'll find her research and ideas cited in academic journals and publications, including Forbes, Harvard Business Review, The Wall Street Journal, NPR, U.S. News, and World Report. Laura was a professor at Rockhurst University for 18 years and currently holds the rank of Professor Emeritus. In addition to education, Laura was in HR management in private industry for 15 years. Laura helps individuals and teams understand and practice being on the same page. And you can reach Laura through her website, listening to change or on LinkedIn. And I will make sure that everything is the show notes. But what we want to do is just welcome Laura to the show. And uh, thank you for joining us here today. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Deborah. I'm so looking forward to talking with you. Well, everyone, I am. Um, thank you, Laura. I want to let everybody know that we met through uh, ICF presentation that you were doing for our chapter here in Edmonton. And I was just intrigued with, you know, she talked about strategic pauses and the power of listening. And I was one of the lucky winners to get a coaching session with Laura. And it was very profound in the fact that, you know, you think that you're listening, but I also can see where I tune out. And I can also see where I need to be more mindful of the pauses that exist in order to have a more powerful conversation with people. And I want to thank Laura for that. And that's one of the reasons I have her on the show today is so that I can share that wealth of wisdom with all of you. Thank you. You're very welcome, Laura. So one of the things that I'm always curious about is, you know, we talk about communication, which sometimes people forget that it includes written and um, nonverbals and oral speech. But when we talk about speaking, we think of that as a form of communication as well. What's the difference between the two? And where does listening fit into that? Oh, I love that question. My PhD is in communication, and the best way that I can explain it is think of communication as a circle, and that that whole circle is called communication, and then split that circle in half, and half of it is sending messages, and oftentimes we send messages through speaking, or as you said, through our nonverbals. And then the other half of that circle is listening. 
or receiving messages. And again, oftentimes we receive the messages verbally from people. Other times we receive those messages non-verbally from people. So the difference is, you know, speaking is part of sending messages, but half of communication is really listening. And what's sad is that only about 2% of the population ever receives any listening training at all. It's assumed that just because we, most of us are born with the ability to hear, we can listen, but that's not the case at all because listening is attaching that meaning to whatever messages we're receiving. So Laura, I've heard people talk about reflective listening, active listening, you know, how do you distinguish the two? Because often when we say reflective, we're reflecting back what we've heard in our own words to understand what was being said. But I find that, you know, when we practice repeating back to someone, this is what I think I heard. I don't see that very often practiced unless you are in a therapeutic role. I think you're absolutely right. And I think one of the things, well, two things that you're getting at, Deborah, is one of the things that I like to say is that listening is an action when we're talking about listening within the context of communication. Uh, since listening is primarily a cognitive activity, no one can see your brain and know what meaning you're making there. So when we listen, we actually have to reflect back to the speaker or we have to ask questions that were based on what the speaker just said to demonstrate that we were listening. So the actions of listening really are how we respond to what we've just listened to. And I think that you're absolutely right that most of us don't practice letting the speaker know what we understood. We just assume that everyone understood it the same way who was in the same room, but we know, you and I know, and actually everybody listening to this podcast knows that that's not true because we've all had those experiences where you're in a meeting with four other people, you think it was a wonderful meeting, you're all on the same page you believe, you leave the meeting, working on what you thought you were supposed to work on. And then a couple days later, you overhear two other people from the meeting talking in the hall about decisions that were made at that meeting, but you don't remember talking about those decisions at all. So really what happens is we have five people in the meeting who think that everybody else is processing information the same way they are, they all walk away thinking everyone's on the same page. And in reality, unless we use some of those strategies to make sure we're on the same page, we are on totally different pages. You know, I, I like that you say the same page and I just, I, I'm smiling here <laughs> because I've had some recent conversations that I find frustrating. And the frustration came from, I thought I made it perfectly clear. <laughs> one was a situation when I was asked if I wanted to go and do something the next day. And I said, you know what, I really want to think it over and I'll let you know in the morning. Well, that individual 
carried on the next morning, wondering what I was doing, not thinking it's like, I, I thought you weren't going. And I'm like, I thought we ended on that. This is what was going to happen. And well, I don't remember you saying that. And then the same person, <laughs> another conversation. And it was just as the person who made the agreement or made the statement or communicated their needs, it was frustrating because I felt dismissed. Mm-hmm. And when we feel dismissed, we, we want to block communication. We don't want to have a conversation with anyone because you feel like nothing you say is going to be heard. And, you know, someone said, did you turn around and say, did you catch what I said? And, and that was when I was like, no, I didn't feel I needed to, <laughs> you know, that little bit of stubbornness. Cause I, you know, again, like, like you said, not everybody is processing the same way. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess I, maybe what I'll do is give a little bit of grace and not think that, you know, necessarily that communication is bad, but I can tweak it in a different way with ensuring that the other person heard what mm-hmm. I did say and what I would, you know, the decision would be made in the morning. Yeah. And, and there are a couple different strategies that you can use there. I love how you said, I thought I made myself perfectly clear because most speakers think they are being perfectly clear. What they're not accounting for is that the listener may for a moment take their attention away from the conversation. Maybe their phone just rang and a text came through. So they were trying to process the text and not really listening to you anymore. Uh, But we don't like to admit that we do those types of things. So we just say, oh, okay, okay not understanding that you said, I will let you know in the morning. Um, The other thing that I could add from the speaker's perspective on that is I will text you at 9am in the the morning and let you know if I'm going to be going or not. Will 9am work for you? So bringing them into that part of the conversation. Yeah. Cause then it feels like, you know, you, you were heard hoping that they're going to respond, <laughs> but I can see, like, I can see where I can improve, but they can also see where they can improve. Cause it led to a conversation of, you know, when I'm talking to you, I need eye contact, or I need you to show me that you're hearing what I'm saying, you know? So it, it is, um, can be entertaining in retrospect in the moment. It wasn't. <laughs> no. No, and uh, it's it's interesting that you say eye contact because eye contact is one of those things in the North American culture, which we're both in, that that's a physical signal that someone is listening to us. However, any of us who have ever been through high school or college know that we can establish eye contact with a professor and be thinking about something totally differently. So eye contact alone does not mean somebody is listening. In fact, this will be a surprise to you perhaps, there is absolutely no physical signal of listening that we've been able to find that signifies somebody is making that meaning in their mind. We just assume that eye contact and facial expressions, you know, and body orientation is it, but it's really not. So I say that you just have to really pay attention to the words. Yeah. 
Cause I know, you know, when some cultures, a nod might be that they, they are hearing you. It doesn't mean that they're understanding what you're saying. It yeah. just can be an action. Yes. So what do, what do we need to do to actually really listen well? That's a big question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, the first thing that we have to do is I think we have to begin with the correct mindset. And it's interesting because I have been working in this area of listening for over 25 years now. And I think my, my newest revelation in the last few years really goes back to the basics of the mindset. And the mindset is we have to have a desire to understand the other person before we fight to be understood. Mm-hmm. So as Covey says, seek first to understand and then to be understood. And kind of linked with that is that idea that we have to listen to understand, not to respond. And that's why I do that seminar and the trainings on strategic silence, because our culture in part due to electronic communication and media has become so quick and fast paced that we assume we have to respond right away. But the research actually suggests that the time it takes us to think about the right response is not the silence we generally hold with people. So we are responding automatically to people and not correctly, which is one of the reasons there's so much miscommunication going on out there. Mm -hmm. So to sum up, I think going back to the basics and having the correct mindset that we really want to understand the other. And I guess I would add to that too, and it's, it's dependent upon the context, of course, but I believe it, it holds for most context. I think in communication, the listener has to be willing to be influenced. And if the listener is not willing to be influenced, then there's no reason to have a discussion. And we all know those people who we, we kind of hear the nonverbal of, I'm not gonna change. I'm not going to change my mind. You know, I'm not going to do anything differently. You can talk to your blue in the face, but nothing's changing here. And that person is not open to listening. So it really doesn't serve us well to use our energy to try to talk to them. So we do have to be open to influence from the other person or the other people in the room. Yeah, that's very interesting. You know, as I was listening to you, one of the things that came to mind is an experience I had when I was a new leader, an emerging leader. And, you know, I had received an email one time, a couple emails, actually one, you know, of course, the caps, (laughs) people expressing themselves. And uh, another one that I was just blown away by the content. And I was shocked at their approach. And I was ready to just what do you want me to do with this? I went to my boss's office and she said, you don't have to answer every email right away. Mm -hmm. 
She goes, give yourself some time to really think about the response that you want to have. And at the same time, I take that as listening, Mm -hmm. you know, because we can't read tone in an email, we can't, you know, really understand where the person's coming from, obviously, with the caps on, it's usually mean that someone's trying to yell at you. Not always the case. I've had people say, Oh, my gosh, I hit the caps lock and just kept typing. You know, so it's, you know, depending on the context and staying in that place of curiosity, but I learned not to respond right away, knowing that you could digest the material, really make a thoughtful response so that there is not this email back and forth. It's Mm -hmm. usually pick up the phone or actually go speak to them directly versus having this email of emotion battling back and forth. Yes, yes. And I love that advice from your boss. And I think it's really excellent advice because you know again it goes back to that automatic response and if we perceive somebody as attacking us then our first thing to do is defend ourselves usually by attacking them Mm -hmm. and that's rarely the best course of action yeah and that curiosity and just really wanting to listen well like putting yourself in that mindset like you said to really be in the space to what what do i have to learn here what is this person requesting of me what are they needing maybe yes. they just need validation you know mm-hmm. it's get really clear on what is the need at the time yeah so we we talked about a few things that people are distracted by their phones or they might have a what's for dinner thought in their head but why is it so challenging for people to truly listen <laughs> a number of reasons. Um, First of all, we generally learn how to listen from our primary caregivers, just by observing them and watching them. So I'll, I'll paint a picture of two very different families. You have one family with one child, and they always have dinner together. And so that child oftentimes is the center of attention. And that child gets asked all the questions and gets praised with their responses and kind of gets coached in how to respond. And that child then thinks that communication is always going to be that way. Now, compare that to a family that has five children. I grew up in a family with five children and a mom and a dad. And Um, The dinner table was chaos. It was just absolutely chaos because the children ranged, you know, a good 17 years apart from each other. So there were five different needs at the table. You had to either wait for your turn to speak, but there weren't really turns. So if you wanted to say something, you had to interrupt and you had to get center stage or nobody would pay attention to you. So that's a very different growing up um, experience. And so I often, as I was growing up, would try to be the center of attention with other people because I thought if I didn't do that, I'd never get my turn. And it wasn't until until I really started studying communication that I realized I didn't need to do it that way. I could do it very differently. Um, The danger in all of that as well is that we assume that everyone is growing up the same way we're growing up. So we assume that those are the norms or the rules of communication. 
So when we meet somebody who does something different and violates our norms, we assume right away that they're being disrespectful and we write them off as being bad people when actually they're not being disrespectful, they're following their family's norms of communication. And I think that's one of the reasons that communication is in general is so hard to do. Um, more specifically with listening, it definitely falls within that area or within that context because mm, how you listen at the table could be very different. One people, five people, or maybe you've got five people at a table and they're all interrupting each other, but they don't call it interrupting. They call it building on the same story or co-creating the story together. So there are actually cultures where it's respectful to overlap speaking. And then there are cultures where you wait for eight seconds before you say anything. So culture is very different in determining what's appropriate or what's not appropriate for that specific context. And then I think the other thing, which I, I referenced a little bit was, is just this idea of how fast paced our world has become. So we don't take the time to really think about things because we are so excited about following that shiny object and looking at the new thing. And that of course is the addiction of cell phones. And if you, if you, you know, know that research, you know that they developed cell phones to be addictive to us. And they certainly are. So we have to train ourselves to not follow the new shiny object, but to actually focus on the person or the people who are in front of us. And that takes work. It takes effort. It's hard. Um, we get tired, you know, and, and so we don't get trained in these things. We don't get taught these things. So I think that those are two huge reasons why it's so hard to listen. And I'm glad you brought that up. First off, I come from a family of five and I'm the oldest. So in the beginning, I think I probably had a voice. <laughs> As more children came along, I think the voice kind of got uh, mo moved along to the younger siblings. But when we all get together, you know, there's definitely a lively conversation. Mm -hmm. I'm really glad you brought up culture because a few podcasts ago, I had interviewed someone and they were talking about how the speaker had gone on a stage and she was in, a, I think it was potentially China. I can't remember offhand. But it was in a culture where she had asked if there was any questions and no one responded. So she proceeded to walk off the stage. And by that time, it probably was about eight to 10 seconds. And then the translator said, now, does anyone have any questions? And she's like, what do you, what do you mean? Like she at first she felt dismissed because she says, what do you mean? I did ask that question. But she didn't understand in that culture how sometimes they call it reading the air is that they need to be asked, but also give them the space to have that time frame before they respond. So I, I find it fascinating to learn about different cultures and how we communicate differently, how we process things differently. Cause if we went to maybe South America, 
they would be all lively and, you know, in this conversation wanting to engage, whereas in another culture, they want to be invited, they want to have that silence before they engage. Or what what the translator did is actually watch them by body language Mm -hmm. to tell that they had a question. And I was just like, wow, (laughs) you know, that's a skill set on its own to know that someone's in a place of pondering. Yeah, so there's a lot of things to pay attention to when we're wanting to listen well and, you know, and not be taken away by those bright, shiny objects. Mm-hmm. It's funny you say that, Deborah, because I had a similar experience. I was invited to Finland to speak. And in the United States, when I speak, I always leave 10 minutes at the end for questions because I find in the US people really like to participate and get their questions answered live before they leave. And so I, I got to my 50 minute mark. And so I said to everybody, you know, you've listened to me talk enough. Now I'd like to hear what you have to say. I know you have questions. What questions do you have? And it was silent, silent. And so I waited for a little bit and I asked basically the same thing. And I saw people start fidgeting in their chair, but they were they were fidgeting just, you know, they were uncomfortable. It was clear they were uncomfortable. And as a speaker, I was thinking I was either so far over their head mm-hmm. or so far under their head that I did not do well at all. And it wasn't until I got off the stage, luckily my friend um, kind of saved me and asked a question. And some of her graduate students asked me a question, but that's when I learned the concept of listening cultures. And there are some cultures where the listener is expected to make all of the meaning and not ask questions because that's shown as an affront or disrespectful to the speaker because the speaker didn't do their job well. So none of them wanted to ask me a question because they wanted to be polite, right? And and think I was a good speaker. But in my mind, I thought I totally failed. And then the reality of it was I did kind of fail because I didn't recognize what a listening culture was and that there wouldn't be questions at the end. So it is fascinating. And here's the big question is how do you learn that other than being put in those situations, who's going to tell you, Mm -hmm. unless it's a question you could ask organizers in your culture, is it okay to ask questions or is it something that frowned upon or, you know, and I can see, you know, sitting in the audience, if I was from that culture, it means if I ask you a question, it means that one, I don't, don't understand or maybe I wasn't listening to the presentation because I'm now regurgitating or summarizing something with a question Um, where in North America it'd be seen as, Oh, she's engaging, you know, this is exciting. And we'd really want to jump in. So that listening culture is um, very interesting. And I know, you know, we've talked about some lessons you have taught me, um, but I'd also like for you to help us, you know, watching and listening in here. Um, how can we improve or I improve my listening even more? Uh, the first thing that I would say is really get some training from a person who really knows what they're talking about or read a book from somebody who has actually researched it. 
Now, what's interesting to know, Deborah, and most people don't recognize this, but there are people who are listening researchers for a living. That's what we do. We research listening. We try to figure out what works, what doesn't work, why it works, um, in which context it works best. So there are people out there who know this research. What I do find is a lot of times communication coaches or trainers will say, oh yes, I can cover listening, but they don't really cover the current research of listening. Mm -hmm. They fall back upon things like always have eye contact. Although there are some cultures where eye contact is seen as disrespectful, you know, so that would be the exact opposite message that you should be spending. So I think spending some time with people who understand what your needs are mm -hmm. and are able to then point you towards the best resources. And of course, I'd like to position myself as one of those people. Uh, so as you know, I'm going to offer all of the listeners of the podcast a great bargain, which is a $99 coaching session with me. And on that session, you can ask me any question you want, or you can tell me where you're having the challenges in listening. And I can give you different resources that you can pursue or offer you different options and know that they're all coming from the research. I only will recommend things that are research-based. And in a nutshell, what that means is they are things that work at a rate greater than chance. So if you start with them, you're more likely to be successful. They won't work 100% of the time though, because humans make science a social science. So we always have those odd people. But if we start with what happens at a rate greater than chance, we usually are in a safe spot. And I have to personally say, and, you know, I've had a coaching session with you and it was very powerful and uh, definitely a gift that everyone can give themselves. And, you know, if you're, you're listening right now and you're like, oh, I don't know if I need that parents, if you're a parent, if you're a teacher, if you are someone who's an entrepreneur running a business, like listening is for everyone. And, you know, Laura has demonstrated some powerful techniques of helping, you know, understand where you're, you're falling down, maybe in listening, and how you can continue to strive and build yourself up. Now, the show is all about life, leadership, and business principles to help you live rich from the inside out. And I would be curious to how can listening make people feel like a millionaire? I love this question because the quality of listening determines the quality of our relationship. So I want to say that again, because it is so powerful. The quality of listening determines the quality of our relationship. And when we think about the people that we have great relationships with, those people we trust because they listen to us and they don't try to change us or they don't tell us what to do most of the time. They allow us to figure it out and they maybe ask us some really good questions so we can go away and think about it, but they see us as fully capable, equal human beings to them. And it doesn't matter if that's somebody in a professional relationship 
like that boss, the first boss that you went to that you told mm -hmm. that story about, you know, that was a great boss because she listened to you. Yeah. And then when we think about the people in our families and the people in our social life, our social circles, our friends are those good listeners. Mm -hmm. And so when we try to become better listeners, we're going to have better relationships personally and professionally, which makes other people feel heard and understood. So not only do we feel like a million bucks, but we make those around us feel like a million bucks. And those are the people people want to be around. And it's the depth of the relationship and the richness that comes mm -hmm. from those relations. Um, Laura and I were talking earlier about, you know, how clients are attracted to different types of work. And it really comes down to the relationships you have with people who want to refer to wanting to know that people want to connect with them because it's a no brainer. Mm -hmm. They are people who truly listen to the needs. You've trust them. There's that credibility. So thinking about your relationships and how you can improve them. And one of the, the definitely characteristics to build upon is those listening skills. Laura, one of the other things I want to share with everyone, because I met you through a presentation with Strategic Silence, is if you maybe could share with everyone what Strategic Silence actually is. Yes. So in a nutshell, Strategic Silence comes down to three numbers. <clears throat> and all of these numbers are based on research. So in North America, we generally respond to a question or a statement within a half a second. So think a half a second. I don't know about your watch or your timer, but I can't even time a half a second because it happens so quickly. So that's known as turn taking. So it's my turn to speak in a half a second after you shut your mouth, right? It's your turn to speak within a half a section a second when I when I shut my mouth. In the North American culture, where silence gets uncomfortable is about three seconds. And at three seconds, I remember having that feeling in the pit of my stomach that the other person was thinking really negative things about me, or maybe they didn't understand my question, or maybe they were bored with me um, and they just wanted to escape this conversation. And you can see none of those are great thoughts. So what happens when we get those feelings in the pit of our stomach or wherever it is that you get yours, we oftentimes jump in and break the silence. The reason that that is dangerous is because of the third number. Research has shown that we don't move from automatic responses to reflective responses, meaning we're thinking about it and we're considering other options until at least three and a half seconds. And so most of our communication on a daily basis is just automatic back and forth. But if you're coaching someone as a coach or as a business leader, you really need to get comfortable with the silence and learn how to give people the time that it takes for them to come up with their answer. 
So in a nutshell, that's strategic silence. And it's such a powerful tactic. I, I think that we underutilize that. And that's why I wanted to ensure that you shared that as well. Laura, thank you so much for sharing this wisdom. And I know that people can improve their lives, their relationships, their business that they conduct leading in organizations with this skill set. I always ask two basic questions at the end of our interviews because it really adds to the richness of the interview. What is one book that has been transformative in your life that you often has a, as a resource or a go-to or refer it to others? It's funny because it was one that I read in graduate school called Strategic of a Scientific Revolution. And basically it was a hard scientist whose office was being remodeled. So had to move to the social sciences and hard sciences and social sciences, totally different worlds, totally different questions, totally different ways to get to their truths. And what I really learned from that book is people are not going to change their mind about anything until they are willing to change their mind about it. And after having lived as many decades as I've lived, I've experienced that time and time and time again with people. And sometimes you just, you know, you don't have have that relationship anymore because they're not going to change. And other times they go, oh, I get it now. That's what you've been talking about for three years. Um, So sometimes it's worth hanging in there. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I can see how relationships go along, you know, their season and those that are prolonged because of that deeper listening or that deeper connection. And uh, yeah, it's interesting that, you know, strategic silence and the title of the book has strategy in it. So Mm -hmm. I I really, I love that. Um, What does it mean to you to live rich from the inside out? Mm -hmm. For me, and this is a message I learned from my mother early on, so talk about, you know, modeling that behavior, is people are more important than things. And really, maintaining friendships takes effort, it takes time, but it's totally worth it. Because after I retire, and I'm sitting on my front porch in the rocking chair, the people who are going to be sitting next to me or visiting me are those that I've had deep relationships with because I've spent the time getting to know them and being vulnerable with them and allowing them to get to know me. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. Um, I'm just thinking that, you know, I just finished sending out a whole bunch of Christmas letters Mm-hmm. It's a tradition I've been doing for many, many years. And my daughter was with me at the post office. She's like, why are you doing this? I haven't talked to them. And I said, I understand you don't necessarily have the same relationship with them as I do. And I consider it, you know, this once a year, 
you know, sometimes I see some of them more often than others, but I'm still putting in that effort. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, not, not all relationships have been like that. So um, I appreciate you sharing that with us here on the show, because if we do want those relationships to continue, or have those relationships come back to us later in years, that we must be nurturing and building those relationships all along, even in little nuggets. Absolutely. And can I add one last thing? Absolutely. (laughs) And it was funny because I hadn't thought about this, um, but I am actually conducting a a four-week program in strategic silence in January. And though it's targeted towards coaches, it would be appropriate for business leaders as well. So I'll go ahead and send you the link on that um, because some of your listeners might be interested in, in jumping into that because they see how, how impactful strategic silence is to you and how it can be for them as well. I think it's, it's one of the game changers of communication. Yeah. And I can see how many people could get promoted in their roles for, you know, as they become a better listener, that they're better able to engage developing, you know, relationships with, you know, other people in organizations and how they can leverage some of the knowledge and resources that each have to get to their end goals. Absolutely. And the research supports exactly what you just said, Deborah. Great leaders are great listeners, not necessarily great speakers. (laughs) Laura, you know, I just am just always blown away. You know, this is our third time connecting and everything, every time I'm picking up more and more from you. And I'm sure our listeners and viewers are going to be doing just the same. Do you have any other final words of wisdom that you would love to share with us? Direct us to your resources on your, on your website. Um, Take, take the stage. It's all yours. Well, thank you. I do have a couple of options for people. I do actually have a YouTube site. I will tell you it's not necessarily pretty because doing media isn't necessarily my thing. I don't understand the lighting and necessarily editing, but I put out listening tips for people and they're less than five minute videos. And you can find that on YouTube at Listening to Change by Laura Janusik. And there are over 100 videos there. So that's one way that you can learn. Another way that you can learn is to get on my mailing list. And on my mailing list, I will send out one tip per week. And so I will send you the information for how to do that as well. Um, I just, as you can tell, I know it's ironic. I love talking about listening but I also love to listen to other people. And it it is just such a gift that has given me so much in my life. And I guess for the holidays that are coming up, what I would recommend that people take time to do, number one, put away your cell phone because you don't want the cell phone to be the only thing rocking on the rocking chair next to you after you've retired on the front porch. Mm -hmm. You want those people that you're spending time with. So pay attention to them, ask them those great open-ended questions and enjoy that we're all different. You know, and I think that's the greatest lesson I think I'm going to take away from today. There's lots, Mm -hmm. but the one is 
really enjoying our differences. And I, I don't think we spend enough time looking at how spectacular those differences are. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for pointing that out. Thank you. Thank you everyone for joining us here on the Millionaire Woman Show. You can also pop over to my website at www.debrakazowski.com. I have a 10-page reset your mindset there for a limited time. I'm going to change things up here shortly. And, you know, I really want you to take to heart some of the tips and strategies and the conversation we've had today with Laura so that you can build those into your life and have that richness from the inside out. And also, you know, I'll put everything in the show notes, how you can connect with her. I'll put the YouTube channel link there as well. And she's got some fabulous courses. Again, take her up on that coaching session because you will be blown away about how one session alone can really transform your listening. Thank you again, Laura, for coming on the show. And uh, I look forward to staying connected with you. Perfect. Thanks so much for having me, Deborah. As Mahama Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see in the world. And as always, go out and make today great.